Amen. Good morning, church. Thank you, Pastor, for just the opportunity and privilege to share the Word of God. This is what I love to do. The process of getting the Word isn't always fun, but the results of it are always meaningful. And so, before we go to the Lord in prayer, you know, as we were singing that hymn, It Is Well, the Lord was just reminding me of the, the origins of that hymn. And very briefly, a man named Horatio Spafford, who had four girls, four daughters. He had wealth, he had riches. That song came out of a time in his life where he went through big time tragedy. I look around our, our country, I look around our world, and everyone, everyone is dealing with something. Whether it's finances, whether it's a loss of jobs or trying to find a job, whether it's the, the, the racial things that are happening. And, and you know, as we're singing that song, It Is Well, Horatio lost all of his wealth. The buildings that he owned burned down. He went through a really dark time. He lost his only son. And then when things were crazy, he decided to send his family overseas to go on holiday. And he said he needed to get some work done, so he sent them on ahead of time. The boat that they were on was struck. And they said within an hour, all four of his daughters were lost. He received a telegram from his wife that any father or husband would read these six words, would crumble at the thought of it. And it said, and when he came overseas to meet with his wife, he was in the boat, and the captain of the boat came on the loudspeaker and said, we are now passing over where the boat had sunk with his four daughters. And it was in this moment that he began to pen the words, it is well. In church, we have to get to a place where we can say that and mean it no matter what we're going through. We don't need to compare testimonies. We don't need to say someone's testimony is, is greater than mine or not. But we all have that same peace that Horatio felt because of the presence of God. That no matter what happens on Tuesday, no matter what happens next year, no matter what happens tomorrow, we can truly say it is well with my soul and have that peace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for that time of worship. I needed it. We need it. Father, we pray that as we look into your word that you would anoint every heart and mind to understand what you want to speak to us today. Father, we pray for every family, every situation, every testimony, those who are suffering loss, those who are dealing with grief, those who, are, who have lost their jobs and are just living in anxiety and fear of the future. Father, we come against that and let your word this morning be the healing bomb that coats every situation and every testimony. Let us learn how to stand and say as Christians that it is well with my soul, no matter what. We thank you that your word is alive and active. Pierce our hearts this morning. Encourage us, build us up, convict us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we are going to be doing part four this morning. As pastor, as you know, has started a series on seeing clearly. Last week, he talked about seeing Christ clearly. We looked at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 18, and we, we looked at the vision that John had of Jesus and how it changed him. You know, I look around our world, and Pastor talked about Isaiah, and in the year that King Uzziah died, it said that he didn't see the empty throne of man. He saw the filled throne in heaven. 
And that is so important, church, especially as we are coming into this week of elections, especially as we are dealing with the uncertainty of this virus. We have to learn how to stop looking at the things of this earth and look at the throne who has always been filled by God and will always be filled by God. Because the truth of it is, listen to this, the bottom line of atheism or materialism is that they believe there is no throne. There is no seat of authority or power. All the universe must answer to The bottom of humanism is that there is a throne, but man sits upon it. The Bible makes it clear that there is a throne in heaven, and no fallen man sits on the throne, but the Lord God is enthroned in heaven. And that is what we have to see in these times. Yes, you may be going through things. Yes, you may be dealing with things at work. But we have to learn how to see the filled throne that is in heaven. Amen? And it will change our perspective. We have to to see clearly what God wants us to see in order to make it through this life. Amen? Amen. We're going to be in Isaiah 6. We're going to look at verses 5, 6, and 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up. It'll also be on the screen behind me. But this is going to be part 4 of the series. Last week, seeing Christ clearly. And this morning is seeing ourselves clearly. The scriptures read this, after Isaiah saw this vision of, of God on the throne, after he saw this magnificent, magnificent scene of, of seraphim flying around and, and seeing the glory of God, we see his reaction. And he says this in verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. I have three things that I want to look at. That, As as we can learn to look at ourselves clearly, this will help us be useful for God in these times that are going to be coming. The first thing is when we can begin to see ourselves clearly, it reveals condition. It reveals condition. Condition is defined as this, the state of something with regard to its appearance. Isaiah was someone who we look to as this magnificent vessel that God used. One of the greatest things that I think you can do is read through the book of Isaiah. But don't just read it through. Get a commentary and start understanding. Because there was so much in there that points to Jesus. There's so much in there about God's love and his purpose and his sovereignty. Isaiah was used so mightily by God. But even someone as great as Isaiah was, when he came into the glory of God, his true appearance was revealed. I read something in a commentary that said Isaiah's life may have been as brilliant as a diamond, but when you lay a diamond against a perfectly black background and you have the right light upon it, you can see every flaw and imperfection, flaws that were invisible before. Even so, when Isaiah's righteous life lay against the background of God's perfection, it looked different. I found this little diamond here. Don't worry, this isn't real. This was real. I'd be in Disney World right now, sitting on a beach. But I was researching just 
what it takes to, to have a diamond look this good. And as you know, I'm married, and when I was searching for a diamond, I, I was talking to the jeweler, and he began explaining all the different degrees of diamonds, and there's special equipment that you can use to see the flaws in them. But to the naked eye, when you walk into a store, every diamond looks good because they got the right light on it, they got it against black background, so you can just pick it up and, and whatever. Now they even have a process of manufactured diamonds. Diamonds can take years and years to get to perfection, but now they have a process in a lab that they can do it within two weeks. Can you imagine that now, wives having arguments? You got me a manufactured diamond. Can you imagine the arguments that'll start with that? It doesn't matter how good we look, it doesn't matter how good things appear, when we begin to see ourselves clearly in the light of God's glory, all of our imperfections come to the surface. And it's not, to make us, it's not to make us feel lowly about ourselves, but it's more about showing how holy God is. And church, if we want to be used in these times that are coming up, because this election, I've never seen so much anxiety coming with elections. There's so much tension in our world and even in the church. And God wants to use his church to bring about revival. God wants to use his church to bring about the peace that the world needs. And if we want to be used by him, we have to see ourselves clearly. Everyone in here has a testimony. Everyone in here has a story. And what we do sometimes is we compare our lives with other people. We compare our stories. Some of you in here think you're not good enough. Some of you in here might think you're better than other people because you know their full story. But all of us, in the light of God's glory are imperfect and in need of a savior. And as amazing as Isaiah was, as amazing of a person that he was, his reaction was woe is me when he saw the glory of God. That word woe is literally a passionate cry of grief or despair. Have you had that moment in God's presence where you have had such a despair because you felt his presence and felt the sin that was in your own life? The more you feel the sin in your own life, the more you realize the need for a savior. But we are living in a world where people feel like they don't need a savior. I have people in my own family who were raised in the church who are living their lives because they don't need a savior or don't think they do. In the appearance of their lives on social media, the appearance that they're giving out to the world, the world may look and see everything put together. But there is a brokenness that is underneath the surface that can only be revealed in the presence of God. We live in a world of social media. We live in a world of filters. Filters are the funniest thing. I've shared before, most of you know, I gave up social media eight years ago and I've never looked back. But once in a while I'll go on, on my wife's just to see some of my friends and what they're doing. And it's just so funny, the selfies that are out there. Yes. Oh my gosh. I've had to, I've to stop myself from commenting on it and calling people out. But then I thought, you know what, this is a better time to do it because then they'll think Tara did it. <laughs> She's out there with the girls. Hopefully there was a glitch and maybe she missed that. But the filters we put on to show people how perfect we are. Yes. The filters, the posts that even parents will put on and make other parents feel bad because it's like life is perfect. I'm not against putting pictures of your kids and things that are going well, but... No one ever comes on and takes a picture, a selfie, as soon as they get up saying morning shot and then post it. We don't do that. We go into the bathroom for hours. We get the right lighting. We go outside. We download the apps with all these different filters. 
we spend this money, then we post it, and then we go about our day. And the problem is, is everybody's going on and thinking everyone's life is going well, but then we come to church and we're broken. We look at those same people and we think, oh, they're not at the altar because everything's going well. I saw what they put. I saw what they said. We need to learn how to see ourselves clearly, church, in the glory of God and in his presence. Because it is then that we will realize our need for a savior, our brokenness, our impurities, our imperfections. And what that does is it just it unites us. Imagine when Pastor Richard calls us to come to the altar to pray if everybody came out and got in their place and got in the presence of God. Imagine when we had events at the church or social events and people would begin to open up and be real about what they were really going through. The closest people in my life are the people who have been transparent about their testimony, the good and the bad. Those are the people who are closest in my life. We need to understand everyone's hurts and pains and what we've gone through because that's real life. What are we trying to project to a world about our appearance? That word condition, a state of something with regard to its appearance. When Isaiah came into the light of God's glory, his condition was revealed and his response was, woe is me for I am lost. Lost is also the other word is ruined. He said, I am ruined. What that means, what he was saying is, I am undone. Charles Spurgeon said this, God will never do anything with us till he has first of all undone us. I set up this table back here because as I was preparing um, for the message, the Lord brought me back to a time in my life where when I graduated in high school, it was 2003 and I told God what I wanted to do with my life. How many of you guys have done that before? We tell God what we want to do, and then he laughs, and we cry, and he laughs some more. And... <laughs> but I told God what I wanted to do. I was still involved with church, and, you know, basketball was my life. I played basketball since fifth grade and, and thought I was pretty good. I went to a small Christian school because of, I was the tallest in a smaller school. I, I, I learned the position of center. And so that's the position I played, that's the position I learned, that's the position that I knew about. When I went to college, they had tryouts for basketball. And so I went, to, I went on the first day, and I got cut the first day. Now during the same time in my life, my nine-year-old brother died that same semester, tragically. I was in a relationship that wasn't good, and I knew, I knew that I wasn't living the right way, but I wasn't doing anything to change it because I didn't know what to do. And so I told people that I'm going to be a star in basketball. I'm going to get a, a, a scholarship. I want to go to the NBA. That was my direction. And the final straw for me was there was a table in the cafeteria that literally was this, exa- it was this exact table. And I remember the Lord showed me. I was sitting there. I could remember the exact outfit that I was wearing And I was crushed. Being cut from that basketball team was the last straw. Because as good as I thought I was, when you go into a bigger pool of people, I realized that being 6'4 was not a center's position. It was a guard, and therefore I had no ball handling skills. I did not know that role. And so when I came into a place where other people excelled in that, my weaknesses came out. 
And I remember sitting at this table in the school and I was so depressed because I didn't know where to go. To the point where when I was sitting at this table, the coach came up to me a few weeks after the season had started and he asked me if I wanted to join the team because someone had gotten hurt and they needed someone. And at that point, I would usually jump up and join the team, but I was so upset. I was so just scarred from everything that was happening in my life. I l- remember looking at him and saying, I'm not interested. He kind of looked at me and, and then he walked away and I remember just sitting there. And the Lord reminded me as I was preparing for the message that this was the first time where I realized I had nothing to offer to God. I was so undone by the things and the circumstances that had happened in my life. I realized I was projecting this this appearance to people that I was going to be this star. And I was so humbled by realizing I wasn't as good as I thought I was because I was going up against players who excelled in that. Church, we have to learn how to sit at this table of despair. We don't need to sit and dwell here. The enemy sometimes wants to keep us here. But we have to, if we want to be used by God, we all have to pull up a chair to this table. We all have to be undone. We all have dreams and aspirations and things we want to do. But if God wants to use us greatly, we have to be undone as we see ourselves clearly in the light of his glory and to other people. And it is then that I realized I used to fear this table. But now I embrace it. Because I realize it's not about me. It's not about my appearance. It's about surrendering ourselves to God so that he can use us. He can polish us. He can lift us up. He can put us on that platform. Isaiah was used mightily by God. But this was a turning point in his life. Where because he saw himself clearly in the light of God's presence, he became undone. And it is when he became undone that God began to do things in his life. Amen? The second thing that happens when we begin, we begin to see ourselves clearly in the light of God's presence is when our condition is revealed, we move to the place where restoration begins. This is such a great word. Restoration is such a great word. And the world needs to know it. The world needs to know about restoration. People need to know what it means to be restored. Restored is defined by this, the act of returning something to a former condition. Did you know that you were made in the image of God? Think about that. You were made in his likeness. Did you know that when you were in your mother's womb that he formed you, he knit you together? You think of knitting and the intricacy, the time spent doing it. He knew the numbers of hairs on your head. For some of you now, it's easier to count the hairs than it was 10 years ago. He knew every word that you would speak when you were in the womb, before you came out. And God's desire, because sin came in and wrecked everything, God wants to restore us to his image. And so Isaiah moved from the table of despair into verse 6, 
When it says he realized his condition and he cried out to God, look what happened. Action started happening in the heavens. When you can get on your face and be real with God and tell him that I'm broken, that I am lost, that I am undone, things begin to shift in the heavens. Things begin to move in the spiritual realm and the presence of God begins to come and begins to do its work even if you don't see the results yet. You have to believe that. And it says that when he realized his condition, look, then one of the seraphim flew to me. It was after he cried out that things began to move. And it says, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. When you realize just how much you need saving, it is in this moment that God begins a process of restoration. The process of restoration isn't always fun. And it's certainly not easy. I'm a YouTuber in the sense I love watching YouTube. And one of the things I love watching, you can, you can search them, people find these old things that like, it could be knives, it could be swords, it could be equipment, things that have been in the ground 100 years, and what they do is they restore it. And I love watching that video because of the stuff that they use. And you know, the video is probably maybe 20 minutes long, but you know that for some of them it was weeks, and they just edited it. And it's amazing to see this process of what has to happen for this piece of equipment or whatever it is that's being restored to go through that process. And the end result is always amazing. Tara might not share that enthusiasm. She doesn't sit with me, but I always show her the end result. I say, look at this, and then I fast forward and show her the end result, and she's always blown away. But I've always been intrigued by the process. And so when Isaiah cried out to God and realized his condition... God started to put into movement a restoration process in his life so that he could be used by God. And we see here that one of the seraphim flew. He says, it flew to me, having in his hand, this is important, a, <clears throat> a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Burning coal literally means a live coal. We have a living God. Even though we may not be able to see him, he is alive and he is active in the lives of his children. And when we can understand the condition of our own life and put our, ourselves in the hands of God, he begins to scrape off the things of our past, the things that have been spoken over us that were negative, the things that were done to us that no one else knows about. The way we look at ourselves in the mirror and we get depressed, or we don't look in the mirror because of how we view ourselves. This world is hostile. This world has an enemy who is the prince of the air and has influence and he has done a number on God's people. But God desires to scrape away what the work of the enemy has done to start this process of restoration. And how does he do it? It says that the burning coal was taken from the altar and it was used with tongues. Church, there's nothing that we can do or manufacture to bring restoration into our own lives. There's no one in our lives or in our realm of influence, no matter how great they are, that can bring about this true restoration in our lives. The source has to come from heaven. It has to come from the hand of God. And that's the difference here. If you guys can jump with me to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. I'll have it on the screen. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. There's a difference here. What's amazing here is 
That word censer literally means fire pan, and it's a vessel in which burning coals are taken away and carried. Now let's look at both of these verses. The difference was Isaiah was undone in the presence of God, and God orchestrated the tongs to pick it out of the fire that was from the Lord. Here you have two people who were sons of the priest and took it upon themselves and used their own fire pan and brought unauthorized fire to the Lord. This is what our culture is dealing with. Our world believes that we can achieve salvation by our own hands. There's so much stress with this election because there's so many issues on the table with this election. There is so much at battle right now in our culture. There is a gender crisis in our nation right now. Homosexuality is running rampant through our culture. I was watching something with our girls. It was, it was something on HGTV, and now these commercials are coming on where they're showing two males or two women just casually in a relationship. They're, they're putting that out there. And I got so angry because I don't want my girls seeing that and seeing that that is the image and that is the way things are. I came from a life of abuse. I came from a life of, uh, of abuse, not just physically, but sexually and verbal. I dealt with issues of homosexuality. I dealt with my own struggles because of what was done to me. And I know it's not right. I know it's not God's design because God has cleansed me. He's changed my thinking, church, and that's what God's desire is to do. It's to change our thinking. The Holy Spirit changes our perspective. And while the world is pushing this agenda of you are this way if you want to be, that's not the truth. We're facing abortion. It's rampant in our culture. I was in the womb and in the hospital and was going to be aborted. But by God's grace, we were taken out of that. But I've lost 12 brothers and sisters to abortion because the world has a way of painting it our way. They take their own fire pan and they make their own way and they think they can just come before God and, and, and it's not right. If we want to fully live in freedom and restoration, God has to do the work. The fire that cleanses has to come from God. Something in interesting about these two guys, they had, they had a legacy of great spiritual experiences. They saw the miracles in Egypt. They felt the earth shake in the presence of the Lord at Mount Sinai. They were part of the meeting on the mountain in Exodus, it tells us that. And yet they still came into the presence of the Lord without reverence. You know what that shows us? A commentator said this, that even a legacy of great spiritual experiences can't keep us right with God. Only an abiding relationship grounded in the truth of God's word can. They came in an unauthorized way, coming to God, but demanding to come their own way. Therefore, God considered this a profane fire before his presence. The fire in the altar of burnt offerings was sacred because it was kindled by God himself. Nadab and Abihu offered a fire of their own making. Perhaps they thought that all fire was the same, and the undiscerning may have agreed with them. But all fire isn't the same, and there is a huge difference between the fire kindled by God and fire conjured up by man. We are living in the last days, church. Revelation 13, 13 talks about the Antichrist. And it says this, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Will we be deceived 
when we look at fire coming down. We have to know the difference between the fire of man and the fire that is kindled by God. Because it is only one of those fires that can truly penetrate the heart and bring cleansing to the spirit. Amen? Amen. And the third and final thing that we can get when we can learn to see ourselves clearly is our condition is revealed and therefore restoration begins and thirdly, redemption is sealed. That word redemption literally means this, the deliverance of one's sins. The deliverance of one's sins. Look at verse seven. So Isaiah saw God on the throne. He reacted and said, I'm undone. God began to start the work of restoration by the coal that touched his lip. And then in verse seven it says, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It was a command. It was sealed because the fire came from God, because Isaiah humbled himself and saw himself clearly. God sealed the redemption. Church, this is the work of Jesus. At this time, Jesus had not come yet. But Isaiah would be one of the greatest messengers to proclaim the Messiah through what God would do in his life. We have to understand there's a reason why it talks about sin and iniquity. We don't have the time to go into the details of it, but there is a difference between sin and iniquity. Sin is something that you commit. Iniquity is something that is passed down. So iniquity in the Bible days, that meant if, if, a, if a father was an alcoholic, what would happen is if they lived in sin, iniquity would be passed down. And the Bible even talks about to the third and fourth generations. That's why even nowadays we can have people who might be born to an alcoholic, they might get taken from that life, that family, and go to a family that raises them right, but they still fall into it. Because iniquity can sometimes follow. It happened to my family. My brothers and sisters, we were stripped away from, from my biological mom who was an, a drug addict and an alcoholic. And all of my brothers that made it through the abortions all dealt with things from that, even though we were raised and put in the church. Sin is something that, that, that we commit. Iniquity is something that is passed down. But Jesus Christ, when he came and he speaks deliverance, he stops that iniquity on the first generation and it does not go anymore. That is what Jesus did on the cross, church. We don't have to live in fear because of our past, because of what my father did or what my mother did. When Christ, when that fire touches you and you are cleansed and you are atoned for, it stops. One of my biggest fears being a father was, God, what if what was done to me, what if what happened to me is passed on to my children? But God said, behold, this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away. It's not just enough for guilt to be taken away, but your sin is atoned for. It's completed. It's taken away. It's done with. When you can get on your face in the presence of God and see yourselves clearly in the light of God's glory, everything you've done in your past, everything that's been done to you can be, and you can live in freedom because God has delivered you. And that is what he does. Amen? Could you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Praise God.
You know, one of the, I've shared this before, but one of the things I love to experience is the Woman of Judah conference because I get to do the media, so I get to see the speakers and be in the atmosphere, even though I'm obviously a man. But I remember one of the messages was the woman who had the issue of blood. And you know, one thing that's amazing is this story is unfolded from what we just read in Isaiah. This woman, you know, the amazing thing is in the, in the Old Testament, when you had sin, you had to go to a priest. You, you had to wait a certain amount of days. You had to go through this process. But now that Jesus came and died for our sins, you know what we get to do? We get to reach out and we get to touch him. This woman, her condition, she spent all she had and her condition remained. There are people who are living right now in your realm of influence at work who they have gone through things and they've done everything they can to get out from under this condition that they're living in and you have the answer and it is in Jesus Christ. The amazing thing about this woman is she saw that Jesus was in the area and she pushed through the crowd and she reached out to touch him. Church, you can reach out to Jesus this morning and touch him and he will cleanse you. In Matthew 9, Mark 5, Luke 8, everything says the same. When Jesus was touched, he turned around because he wanted this woman to know that her guilt was taken away. Because if he just let her go back into the crowd, doubts would have come. Maybe I touched him, but maybe I'm not really healed. He wanted to stop everything and confirm in her life that you are now made well because of your faith. Church, we can be cleansed because of our faith. It's still not anything that we can do in the sense of, of salvation, but God has given us this thing called faith, which is based off the truth of his word, that you can reach out to God and he will touch you in your weakness and bring healing into your life no matter what. As Tuesday is coming, Pastor shared it. The hardest prayer that we can pray is God's will. The thing I've noticed with this whole thing of racial injustice and, and with this COVID thing is everyone wants to say their opinions, but no one's asking people of God, what do you believe or what do you think? No one's asking that because they don't want to hear it. They want to project what they feel. But the greatest prayer that you can pray now and in the upcoming weeks is, God, what is your will? Because sometimes God's will doesn't align with our thinking and align with what we want, but it is God's will that will accomplish redemption and seal it in our hearts. Amen? Our world needs redemption no matter what happens on Tuesday. We still have to come back. We still have to pray. We still have to fast. And we still have to go to work because we are living in a decaying, lost world. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that your word would be sealed on our hearts. Father, we need to have the seat at the table of despair right now, God, to become undone in your presence. Not to see ourselves less, but to see you more, high and lifted up. God, I pray that conditions would be revealed even right now. God, I pray that as people sit in that table of despair and, and, and become undone, that you would start the restoration process in the heavens. That you would start to put the working and orchestrating pieces in order to restore what has been done to your people here. And lastly, Lord, I pray that redemption would be sealed on every heart and mind of the people watching on live stream and the people sitting here in the sanctuary. Lord, let us know that we know that we know that our redemption is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the work that Jesus has done. It's about Jesus this morning. It always was and always will be about Jesus. Give us that focus in these last days, God. Give us that focus to be in your presence, God, to hear from your word. Give us understanding, God. 
Father, our nation is facing a crisis right now, and the solution is Jesus Christ. Move through your church, God. Divine appointments, I pray, over workplaces right now. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes that discern into people's situations, God. Father, I pray that you would put in us just your word to pray over people and speak over them, God, and that they would encounter your presence where they are. But God, we need to become undone. We need to sit at this table and allow you to do that work. It's not comfortable, but it's needed, God. Give us endurance and grace to sit at this table, but then to rise above it and live in the restoring and redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. Seal your word in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray as a church. Amen and amen. God bless.